Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine. For the first show in 2018, we are proud to welcome back the Cubs fan to talk about the world of Lucha Libre. We start with his revival of the Tapatia Awards, who won for 2017, why the voters did what they did, and possibly looking ahead to candidates for 2018. Then we talk about... All the news in Lucha Libre that is mainly CMLL, including Fantastica Mania, the current scene, the push of the Dinamitas, the two new Japanese imports, the Parejas tournament that is going on right now, the changes in the CMLL front office and what that might mean to who's being pushed and not pushed, and various other things around the world of Lucha Libre, including the independent guys and what may happen to Rey Mysterio Jr. This will probably be the only podcast for a couple weeks, but we hope to have the pod back as soon as we can. We hopefully have some people lined up that you will enjoy. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. the Winter Palace. Uh, this is the first show of 2018, and we have not done a Lucha show in a while, so why not go to the man himself to talk about uh, his bringing back uh, the Lucha Blog Awards and all the other sort of news that's going on right now. We welcome back the Cubs fan. How's it going, Cubs? It's going good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Um, like I said, you, what was the reason for bringing back the Tapatia Awards? Uh, a little bit annoying public demand from one person. One person who may be on the other side. No. Um, it was more, I, even though the, the amount of people who talk about Lutra Libre and um, Mexican wrestling and uh, is, has greatly grown since like I was doing these about a decade ago, it still feels like the amount of discussion about what the best guys were from a specific year or what the best matches were from that year from Mexico kind of gets left off or they get like, they're the 17th choice in a top hundred list. I don't even know what they were on divorces wrestling top one, but just as an example. So if there's, there's probably, I know there's gotta be better ways to do it than like to look at history that way than a fan vote, but the fan vote also seems like the easiest thing to do. And and the way to get most most people involved. So I thought it was just worth doing to sort of preserve that history and make sure that that Lucha is being treated as equitably with other styles of wrestling. Well, is it a coincidence that you announced them for this year roughly after the uh, Hall of Fame came out and Lucha kind of got shafted again? No, because I I, I don't think it really because. If anything, the Hall of Fame convinced me that it was one, it's one of those things where I just I'm not completely sure that like the voting stuff that we do right now makes as a wrestling society or whatever we are um, makes a lot of sense. But I also think that it also I guess it, to, it, it did influences that I know those things will um, get people to pay attention to it even if they even if the reasoning behind why they exist doesn't always make sense. So it, I guess it did play into it. It was not the reason to do it, but it was it was an idea I could borrow from. 
And as of our recording today, the Observer Awards for last year haven't come out yet, so we don't know how Lucha might fare there, but it seems like, I would guess, in good Lucha years, you know, I think Lucha is lucky to get people sort of maybe in the bottom half of the top ten or others receiving votes, except maybe in certain categories, like Best Flyer. But, uh, so we don't know how they're going to go. I would guess, to me, it seemed like it was a down year in Lucha overall. So I would not expect anything. Would you agree that it was not sort of like the best year? I think it was a it was a definite down year in CML and AAA, and um and it was just the other promotions, the small promotions, did not really break through. There was no one specific one that broke through to get everyone's attention. They actually could be easily watchable. So I think if people were willing to dig it was still a good it was a good enough year but the wrestling observer voters probably not a lot of people are digging to um youtube channels to find highlights from tijuana so i don't expect the lucha vote to be particularly good i, I think the, the one thing that's going to help is that since dave watches and talks about cml friday night so much more than he used to i think that'll help with some of the secondary categories but even then he also reduced how much he's been, he's counting up in those secondary categories. So it may just be, may not make a big factor after all. Now, the interesting thing is that we said that CMLL did not have a very good year overall, yet CMLL swept the awards. Is that just a factor of more people that voted are regular CMLL watchers, or is it just a sign that? Really, everything was down uh, across the board. I think it was more CML watchers. I think AAA, even if they had a good year, would have, um, have over the past years, might have ran people off where they weren't going to give it a chance. And also the AAA didn't – but AAA also really did not have it in good a year. Had a pretty poor year as far as watching quality matches. And then I think that's the other, the other thing I brought up is that there's no one alternative to CML that people could over could vote against it. I think the crash did pretty well, but you had to be um, pretty dedicated to watch most of the crash matches. So uh, I, I think the crash overall, show by show, were pretty good shows. But it's it, it's not you can it's a lot easier to pick and choose on CML when there's so much CML available than in good quality than when you're watching handhelds. Now, uh, I said CML swept all the categories. Is there one of those winners that you think was a surprise? I guess we should, I guess we haven't actually listed them yet. So, uh, Volador Jr. was best wrestler. The best match was the finals of the Parejas Incredible tournament, which was uh, Cavernari on Volador versus Ultimo Guerrero on Valiente, and we're in the middle of that tournament for this year, but we'll get we'll get to that in a second. Uh, best promotion was CMLL. Best rivalry was uh, Zussis versus Princess Suhei. Best unit were the new Dinamitas. Most improved was Soberano Jr. And then favorite wrestler was a tie between Cavernario and Echicero. Do did any of those surprise you? They all seem pretty logical choices. 
Well, when I put best wrestler there, I was absolutely expecting Microman to win that award. So I was really surprised that he did not win that award. But but then that was just going to be, you know, that was just one. So people, so the voting isn't a pain. People have more fun doing it, which was one of the things that was aiming by cutting down how many choices people had to do for each award for the bigger categories. But the the one that really surprised me was that Princess Shirgi, Shirgi and um, Zuxus won Best Rivalry. I was not – they had a pretty good rivalry, and I, I think it feels a little bit because there was not a lot that – not a lot of great rivalries this year, but I still was not expecting that one to get the pick. Yeah, so it won with nine votes. Um, Psycho Clown versus Dr. Wagner, which was the Triple Mania main event, had eight and then Volador slash Mystico versus Crisco had seven. And then Park versus Rush had five. And then Phoenix versus Flamita had four. And Sam Adonis versus Blue Panther had four. So it was kind of spread out. There wasn't really an overwhelming famous. Uh, you know, you compare it to the Dinamitas winning best group. They had 29 votes. And then Los Ingro Bernalos were second with six. So that was a pretty big slam dunk. So, and, you know, of course the funny thing with the women's rivalry is that, you know, it peaked at the anniversary show in September. And then, you know, you really never saw those guys wrestle against each other very much on TV after that. Cause Xerxes didn't make a lot of TV for the rest of the year. Right. I think it was like, I forget it was December or January where they had the first match again on TV. So, because Xerxes wasn't around that much. And even when she was, they w- they weren't programming them against each other. They they were programming against each other that one week, the the two weeks that were canceled by the earthquake. And I wonder if maybe they would have kept fouling on it if they had a chance there. But um, I, I I think this is just the general situation. Of this was there wasn't one great tri- rivalry everyone was interested in. Too the Wagner Clown was more the traditional one that would usually win this award. But I think people were so turned off by AAA that. They didn't really get into it, and the and the Psycho Clown and Dr. Wagner rivalry didn't make much sense after a while, where they were spending as much time teaming for a while as they were feuding, and it just there was no it wasn't a great direction to it for a for a while. It was the biggest match of all the matches for sure, but I'm not sure if people, but there was the lead up to it wasn't as great as you might hope. The other sort of interesting one is Most Improved, which. <coughs> Excuse me. Went to Soberano with 11 votes, and then Niebla Roja with six, and Sam Madonis with five, and Gran Guerrero and Sansone with four. It's funny that Niebla Roja finished second because it seemed like the consensus seemed to be that once that when he lost the anniversary show, he might sort of peter out and might even leave the business. And now he seems like he's a fairly hot you know, upper mid-card Technica with his sort of He-Man slash stripper slash Fabulous Ones gimmick. Yeah, I I think some of that also, even though the voting was supposed to be in 2017, I wonder if people's, what they just had seen with Fantastic Media, with Niebla Roja and Gran Guerrero having good match there might have affected their minds because it was really just like the last couple months of the year where people felt like he really improved. Up until that anniversary show, people felt, it seemed like, People felt like he was going backwards, and I think that having that one good match turned it around a little bit. But I was kind of surprised he went that high. But then, in a way, you know, Sobriano winning overall—it's not like Sobriano suddenly got 
a lot better as much as he got a lot better opportunity and made most of it. You think that was mainly just that they pushed him up the card? So he, one, he's higher on the card, which means people's opinions of him are higher, and two, that means he got to work with a better class of people. Yeah, and it, he got, also moving up in the card meant they took off the restrictions that, you know, he might not be able to do the stuff he wanted to do in the second and third match. But once he gets those big main events, he can do anything he wants within limits and sometimes without limits. So I think that was that was one where you can actually credit CML Booking for making a guy look a lot better than he was before. And I should I'll take this opportunity now to mention, since he was part of it, that he is he was in the 2014 in Busca de Idolo, which we are ever so slowly reviewing. Uh, we'll be reviewing week by week on the website uh, at some point. We did the intro post if people haven't seen it yet. And the next thing will be sort of looking at the battle royal that set up the teams who were part of it. And that's a funny thing if you go back and actually look who was part of that tournament. To The people who were in it that didn't actually make the cut, because it includes Metallica of all people. And it's just like, can you imagine if Metallica would have been in Buscadia and Idolo that year with Hechicero and Cavernario and Dragonly, how funny that would have been? That would have been funny. He would have he would have stuck out and not in a positive way, I think. He was better at that point, but I think it would have just been a weird fit. Well, I, the thing I was going to say about Niebla Roa is, <clears throat> do you think he's also one of these people that, given a new gimmick and sort of freeing himself up from being under a mask has really has helped? So, I think I mean, so. I, I think that helped. I think um, changing his just status quo, where he was for the last few years doing the same sort of matches and being the same sort of character in those matches, I think that kind of pushed him to um, to come up with new ideas and do new new stuff. I, I think he had trouble at first trying to figure out what exactly to do in his role, and it took time. But I think it gave him a motivation he didn't seem to have in previous years. Now, we're kind of jumping ahead a little, but this makes a good segue in that his brother is Angel de Oro, who it certainly looks like will be headed towards a mask match very soon. And do you wonder if they think sort of lightning's going to strike twice where, you know, Niebla Roja has become much better unmasked with a new gimmick that they're going to do the same with his occasional tag team slash brother? I think I think that might be a reason. I think they're also just so far in on the Dinamitas that they want to find a way to get them another big match. So Cartero getting a mass win this early is, is probably a big part of it. Um, and we, we mentioned them before, but has there really has there been anybody gotten this super mega push in CMLL the way the D, I mean, do you have to go back to like? original Mystico to find somebody pushed this hard? I, I think so, because even, I feel like Sombra won titles early, but it, Sombra and Masquerade both won titles early, but they weren't pushed, they were pushed still like as maybe upper mid-card guys, but they weren't winning big Apostle matches until later on. So I think you have to go all the way back to Mystico to find someone that's really compared to, to the Dinamitas. Is it I mean, I know they're they're obviously 
good. But is it the fact that they're good and second generation and a particular second gen? Because, I mean, obviously CMLL is littered with second, third generation guys. But it's sort of like, why has this why has this mega push been given to these guys versus, I mean, you know, it's, it's certainly an old hat on this show, but it's like, you know, how many times have Puma and Tiger been stop started? You know, the Panthers occasionally get a little higher on the card and then they're back down to the middle again. It's sort of like, why, why these guys among all the other second generation guys? I think it's um, partly just, being the right second generation guys, I think it's partly um, just being at the right time when they wanted new people on top and they were just having to be new people. And I think it's especially new people on the Rudo side, which is a lot older than technical side generally. And I think that they wanted, um, I think it's the size issue too, where it doesn't always stick out, but those Cortero and Sanson are almost about as tall as Euphoria and it's, and CML, even though they're known as um, a group that has a lot of talented smaller guys because they're a Mexican promotion, they still see size as a big issue, big thing, and they will go, sh- they will push guys just based on being big guys. So I think it helps that they are very good at what they do for what their age. But I think um, I think it's it's a lot of timing, it's a lot of um, being sincere, certain so when they can promote that as a big thing and being just um, being the right size for them. And we talked about sort of, you know, uh, we mentioned a couple times the new CML, but um, it seems like there has been a definite, uh, I don't know if you want to say philosophy shift, but, you know, since we've seen, you know, Sophia Alonzo uh, out more as sort of like the new public face of the company, that that's coincided with a lot of these sort of, New uh, new initiatives. I mean, can we say that like the booking really is new yet? Other than maybe a couple people being pushed that might not have been pushed before. Or I mean, because she's she's on the business side, and we've seen you know, a few things that have been done differently the last month or so. And of course, she went on the Fantastic Mania tour. But uh, just what kind of influence um, does she have so far? So, uh, I don't know the answer for sure. My hunch is that she's probably not – because she's not a wrestling person, it's going to be tough for her to tell the wrestling people what exactly to do. But as a marketing person, she may be able to – she may have suggested that, you know, we need new people. Um, that's what the fans are looking for. And you can see – and maybe that's why we got um, new people on top. Maybe it was up to CML to choose exactly which new people were on top or the the programming committee, but maybe that was a suggestion. I, I don't really know for sure. You can see, though, that their biggest influence has been more on, like, their social media has been changed since the beginning of this year. They're really pushing that book as a, both as something to sell, but I think something to sell, some, something to market, the continue to market the promotion as, like, a, a historical monument or, or, and part of the culture of Mexico. So I think those are probably more the areas she's focusing on. Have we heard if these, this book is going to be available anywhere yet outside of the arenas? They said when they announced it back in November that by January it was going to be available in stores every, in, across Mexico. 
but it's February now and has not really happened. So I'm not sure what the deal is there. Is the world basically being that for those of us that want it, we're going to have to wait for one of you guys to go and buy a bunch of them and ship them back for us? I hope not. I probably won't be going for a while. So it may take by then you would hope that they would, you know, have in a bookstore or something. But that the way it's going looks like it's going to be that way. I think everyone's kind of like not in a hurry to actually set something up like that because everyone the next day CML might announce that it's in some bookstore. But the longer it goes, the more likely it's gonna end up that way. And have we I mean I assume you've probably talked to people who have read it by now. Like is it actually, how I have not. I've, I've talked to people, looked through it, but I have not talked to anyone read it, so I don't even know. I can't even give you a, like an impression of what it's like at this point. I mean, I think it's safe to say that we all probably would like to have a copy, even just if yeah. it's just a big book of pictures and the text is kind. You know, like if it's sort of, you know, WWW, uh, WWE eyesed in terms of you know whitewashing history or whatever. I assume just the historical artifacts that are in it will make it worth the purchase. Yeah, I'm sure the photos, and they'll probably have some information, and they'll probably, I'm just, I'm, I have no idea how deep they go with any things, but I think even just as I put the flip through, it would probably be something interesting. Um, we briefly mentioned Fantastic Amania, which has been over for a week or two now. Um, what was the overall consensus for how the tour went? Um, it seemed like there were one or two matches may, that stood out, maybe not as many. Uh, as high quality as years have passed. It seems like the only real story about the tour was, you know, what what happened to Drone and, uh, you know, his his now punishment for what happened over there. It seems like other than that, it just sort of was fairly uneventful. Yeah, I think he had some good matches. I think it's a situation, though, where most years – in Mexico, it doesn't really make any news because they just, it's just the matches, they're good, but no one, very few people in Mexico really search out the New Japan world to um, subscribe and see the matches. And because the drone thing was um, eventually put up on YouTube outside of New Japan world and everyone saw it and it became a big story, it overshadowed everything else. I don't think it was much less than other past years. I thought Grand Guerrero, Nebula Roja, and Volador Cabernet were pretty great and worth watching. But I think it just... It did not have the – it just didn't have the buzz coming out of it because it ha, it it didn't build to a big singles match at the end, and I think that's what people are used to. And as we mentioned before, we are in the middle of uh, – I guess it's the first tournament of the year, the Parejas tournament, which week one was not surprisingly won by the – uh, mega power team of Volador and Ultimo Guerrero. And so we're left this week to see a, who will win amongst all the people that are left and B, what kind of match can they have in the final? Since, as we mentioned before, the finals of this tournament last year ended up winning the match of the year award. Yeah. And I, I at this point, because last week was so predictable, you're kind of left the believe that this week will also be left predictable and they'll be the Crisco Euphoria team because they match up the best with Boulder and Ultimo Guerrero. Um, I think, and that would also probably produce the best final because you would have um, Crisco and Ultimo Guerrero as usual opponents, Boulder and Euphoria as usual opponents, and the Crisco Boulder stuff that they were teasing last year and then dropped as soon as they got their singles match, they could go back to. So 
I would be surprised if there was any other outcome. I, I would expect that final to be a pretty good match, but I wish they would put more excitement into the tournament leading up to it. Uh, the other news from like the last week or so, which I know made your day, uh, is the return of Elite. Uh, does this mean yeah. you get? Does this mean you, you get to break out your table? Uh, I, at this point, I do not have to break out a table or any chart to keep track of points because it looks like they're going back to their one of their previous formats, which was just matches that for the sake of matches on Sundays. There's no sign of a league or a tournament that's going to not end up well, which is best, which is honestly for the best because I don't think they have any credibility in that department if they started running one of those. But then I don't really understand why you're just going to run matches or run matches because you're taking guys that fans are only moderately at best interested in seeing on Sundays at the CML guys, and you're taking indie guys who people aren't that much interested, and you're just hoping that by putting them together – People are going to be more interested in them than they weren't individually. And I think it's just going to be – it's going to be something that's going to get some buzz for a couple of weeks and then it's going to slip off people's radar again. Uh, do they have TV again? They originally were saying they were going to have TV in February. They have not said anything except put up the video announcing the return. So we don't know if they have TV, but – I. I didn't think they were coming back, and they came back. So they said they were going to have TV in February. Maybe they'll actually have TV sometime this month. And CML has some kind of new TV, but is it really anything worth getting excited about? No. CML um, has perfected the art of slicing up their um, live events into our our TVs. So this is just them slicing a Tuesday show or Friday show up for TV and selling it to Teleformula, which is in the U.S. and Mexico. But it's probably going to be the same stuff that they're already posting on YouTube with a few more interviews or actual graphics that display people's names. That, that's, I mean, if you watch the um, the YouTube stuff, which I assume that everyone who's still listening to this segment has watched CMO online at some point, that's the reason they, they never put up graphics for people's names or, or stuff like that might actually make it easier to watch because they just want the raw footage so then they can post-product and add on whichever network they're actually going to air it on later on. So they have to keep the the TV, as cl- they have to keep the YouTube as clean as possible, which means you can't actually make it something that it's really easy to watch if you're watching on YouTube. Um, going back to the, the sort of new CML stuff, this is actually, ironically, uh, going back to something they did before, but it seems like they're back to uh, posting those Sabado retro posters. So is, do you think – because for a while they tried sort of booking Saturday differently. Is is that just back in name only, or they, do you think they'll actually do something different on Saturday? I think it's back in name only. I think they consider running an arena Coliseo at this point as retro as they throw back to a different age. But I don't think – it doesn't seem like they were – they're inspired to book anything differently than other shows. And I guess the other CML news uh, – is that we have two new uh, Japanese imports. Uh, both have made TV. Kobayashi has only made TV in Guadalajara so far, right? She hasn't been on the main show. No, she will. Yeah, she'll debut on the main show on Friday. And Kawada. Debut was it? Was his first match last week on Friday? Yes, 
Yeah, he was supposed to debut on Tuesday and then got pushed back for Friday, so that was his first match last Friday. And it, I think it's sort of I think the one interesting thing is uh, he's going to be your typical Japanese Rudo. I don't know if they're going to stick him with Okamura as they do with everybody, since he's part of Sam's group now. But uh, but she's she's going to be a Technica, so that's at least different. Yeah, I I think most people have seen Kawado in Japan, but we're also hoping that eventually, or even just to start, that he would be a Technico. Um, he seemed like he did okay on his own as Rudo. I think he's just going to need more time. I think Kobayashi, at least in the short term, is going to be the better of the two because she was actually around Mexico last year for a couple of weeks, and she, I think she probably trained with some people, so she's probably going to be getting up to speed a little quicker. But I think Kawato, once he figures it out, I think he'll probably be pretty good too. Cool. Um, I guess that's... Uh... I guess that's it for CML. The one, well, the one other thing I was sort of curious about is how successful, relatively speaking, do you think the Harris Brothers Lucha promotion is going to be? I have doubts that's going to amount to a lot past its first run of shows because, I mean, they're just kind of blindly hoping for a TV deal, and I'm sure they're working on it very hard, but I think it's just it's going to be tough. It's a tough sell to find some place that's going to give you a TV deal that's going to be worth the money to a TV deal. Um, and I think they don't, I think they have some of the stars to run live events, but I don't think they, I think it ends up, it's tough to imagine them jarring enough to make it worth their time with how many people, how many people they're going to have to fly in for all the shows. That first run of shows they did a couple weeks ago. I mean, they drew decently for an indie show, like around like maybe six, seven, eight hundred. But they were, they still seem like they were pretty expensive shows, considering all the people they would have to, they had to bring to Texas. So I don't see it. It doesn't seem like a uh, business strategy that looks like it's going to work out. But if they come through with that TV deal, then everything changes for them. Would you? I don't know. Would you say all of these sort of Indies that have, I guess, maybe American aspirations or, I guess, uh, other kind of... I guess the question is sort of like, you have Ira Lucha, you've got the Luchadors that are being used by Impact, you've got the Crash. It's like, are, are they competing for, like, this sort of same... Uh, known indie like Mexican indie guys that we know. Plus, those guys are also working, you know, Chicago and Cleveland and other places like that. So, like, is there is there a bidding market for guys like Phoenix and Penta, and you know, uh, some of the other guys, or is it is it just these? Eventually, some of these are going to die off, and they'll just end up like in one or two places. I think there might be a short-term competition for some of those guys because they're all going for the same – they're all trying to um, make the same deals and trying to attract the same market. But I think none of them are really in the position to, to really outbid each other because they're all trying to um, – none of them are so solid in the U.S. where they can afford to really outbid each other in a major way. I think a lot of it's at this point – more trying to outbid with relationships or um, just trying to convince people that they're, they have the better chance to succeed. But I, I think 
everyone would like to have Phoenix and Pentagon for the, those sort of projects, like they would like to have Rey Mysterio. And um, those guys are aware of that to know that they're going to get what they're going to get a good price no matter who they're going to work with. But they're also probably going to um, not. They're all pretty successful last year or so um, working at wherever they want. And I think they'll be reluctant to be tied to one, any one group at this point. Uh, that was going to be my my last question because I think Rob would be upset if we did not discuss we did not discuss Ray, who of course made a triumphant return, uh, as far as we know, as a one shot at the Rumble last week. I saw there were news in the various usual places about what his future looks like. Do you think he'll sign some sort of modified easy schedule? with Vince or do you think he's going to just stay independent and collect his hefty appearance fees from going places around the world? I, I just, I think he, Ray would absolutely sign a, a part-time deal if it was offered to him, but I just don't know that, um, is going to be willing to do that just because they don't really do that for anyone short of block Brock. So, uh, I, I think that Ray's probably going to, Ray can still make that eat, make money going around the world by getting big per day, day amounts, and I don't think he wants to give that up for WB. So I I I think there'll probably be a situation where they're closer than they were a few years ago, where maybe he'll come in as special appearances once a year or twice a year. But I don't see him. But my guess still is that he's not going to go any time any more than that to WB. Could you see? I mean, we're talking about Ray's price tag, but. Could you see Ray ending up on the Cody show? Yeah, I could see that. If he if 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 nothing happens to WWE, I could see him making an appearance there. I think I, I'm. I think it's. I think I don't have a. I, I would about I would say that I don't have a great idea of what Cody's strategy is at this point. I think they may think that they have enough. They just want it to be a being the elite special. And so with just those guys alone, they're not expecting to pay more than that. But I think he would be a guy who would help them draw their 10,000. They, if their priority was the 10,000, then I think he would be a guy who would help them get to that mark. Well, cause I, I was of the opinion that if they, if their goal was to draw 10,000, and of course it depends on where they run, but it would seem to me that having some sort of Lucha match, especially if they end up running in LA and maybe in Chicago that having, you know, a name Lucha match, which, you know, maybe would include Ray, maybe would include, you know, I don't know if that would, they would go with Penta and Phoenix or they would go sort of more old school names, but it seems like having name Lucha guys would help get to get you to 10,000 if 10,000 was your goal. Yeah, I, I would think so too. But after how well the New Japan show did, the latest one where it's got sold out in 20 minutes, they may talk themselves into that. They just really need the Bullet Club guys, and if they can get a few New Japan guys, then they really don't have to spring for Lucha guys or anybody else. But um, I am not sure. But I think that New Japan, that I just think that New Japan show just may have changed their thinking on a few things. And lastly, before we go, because it happened earlier tonight, we are recording this Monday night during Puebla. Um, the Cairo show was tonight, which featured, I don't know if it was technically the main event 
or not, but certainly uh, friend of the pod, friend of the magazine, Echicero wrestled Satanico. And I know you said you haven't heard sort of the quality of the matches tonight, but um, what happened in that match if you know what happened? Uh, Hechicero won again, so that's a second straight win. So he's continuing to beat Satanico and tried to force him into a match where Satanico has to put up the Infernale's name, but it doesn't seem like uh, Satanico agreed quite yet. And uh, as always, I assume we don't know if we'll be able to see this. I mean, we may get handheld, but we don't know if we'll see this officially or not. We don't know. I, I, what we do know is that Maslutra was there filming it and they were doing live commentary. So that sounds like a better chance than usual about seeing the shows, but we have no idea if we'll get to see them complete or when we'll get to see them. That, that's, th- that, that's one of those mysterious and frustrating things about uh, about Mexican Lucha Libre is that people do work on these things and they work very hard, but they don't really tell you what they're doing. So everything's kind of a mystery if it'll happen or not. I was going to say, speaking of that, do you think one of the reasons it was kind of a down year is because a lot of the stuff that we had been seeing, we don't necessarily get to see. We we don't know for sure that we're going to see it, and if we get to see it, it may not be in the kind of quality that we may have been used to for the last two or three years. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a definite factor. I mean, if you compare the 2016 really big third promotion was Elite, where we had the TV in great quality whenever we wanted for pretty much every episode, and you replace that with The Crash, where we never had the TV, and we just finally get whatever it turns up. And 2017 started with the Lucha Memory Show, where they sold two matches, and then nothing else really happened along that way, where we just kind of, sometimes we got matches, sometimes we got matches much later, sometimes we didn't get matches at all. I think that that not progressing or even going backwards while the rest of the world um, went forward and there was like 500 different streaming networks made Lucha Libre look like it was having a worse year just by comparison to everything else, which was having a pretty easily to watch year. Cool. Uh, Cubs, thanks as always for doing the show people can go to the lucha blog for uh news and updates and whatnot uh of course you've got your youtube channel and people can find you on twitter at lucha blog uh and it, yeah. and you know there is the occasional uh podcast with you and rob i don't you've done what one this year so far and <laughs> we've done one this year probably do another one i don't know this modified it worked out maybe if lucha underground does something we get, we can talk about that um i also have a i'm working on something else to come out hopefully by the end of the month so there should be news later on cool yeah people can look forward to that so mm. once again thanks cubs um there probably will not be uh, a new pod anytime uh, in the near future due to some medical issues. But when we do have a new pod out, we will be sure to let everybody know. You can always check online at Winter Palace Pod. That's the home of the podcast. So thanks, Cubs, again. And we will talk to everybody next time. 